you know, if you have the, the governance clear, you don't, you know, who can do what and who is mandated to do what and so on. So the governance is a, a way for the shareholders and the board to organize the decision-making that portfolio management is about. If you don't have that a governance system in place, you have chaos. Welcome to Innovation Talks. Join us weekly as we discuss with distinguished industry guests how to refine and improve corporate innovation and new product development. Hosted by Paul Heller, Sophion Chief Evangelist. Hello, everybody. You're going to listen to an episode that we've split into two parts. It picks up with Hugh Bruton from an earlier conversation he and I had about portfolio management. And we wanted to make sure we covered the other pillars. We were talking about the three pillars of portfolio management. In the first episode, we covered process. In this next one, we're going to be talking about governance. And in the follow-on coming right after this, we'll be talking about data. So here's part one of governance and data. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the show. Glad you could join us again. Hope you're all having a great week out there. Recently, Hoob Rutten and I were talking about portfolio management. We had a great discussion, but we arrived on three pillars of portfolio management. And we discussed one of them in detail. We discussed process, but we didn't discuss governance and data. So Hoob has joined me again today. Hi, Hoob. Hi, Paul. We're going to talk about the other two and then maybe uh, see where that leads us. So how are you doing today, Hoob? I'm fine. Happy to Good. be back. Happy to be back. Glad you came back. So, uh, Hoob, we're down to uh, governance and data. We talked about process, governance and data. Which one would you like to talk about first? I think we should start with the governance. Okay, okay. Yeah. You know what? If you have the, the three pillars and you, you, you have them in a triangle, in fact, those three are embedded in a, in a circle of culture and organization, if you, if, you, if you can imagine. But the three pillars are the governance and the, and the process. They dictate, in fact, what kind of data you need. Yeah, okay. True. That's why perhaps we can do those first. I think that's a great idea. I've seen so many systems load up with data, independent of thinking about the governance and process, and it's just yeah. meaningless data. Yeah. Oh, throw yeah. it in there. Yeah. Yeah. And, and indeed, meaningless. Yeah. Because the data, they get meaning in the context, right? Yeah. And if you talk about portfolio management, decision-making, and so on, if data don't uh, fit the decision-making needs and requirements, then you have a mismatch and then your information system will not be used. Sure, sure. So when you think about governance, we've talked about different types of governance uh, over the different over the years, but when you talk about governance around portfolio management, what do you mean by that? Yeah, what I mean is that, go back to the definition of portfolio management. Portfolio management is a process and a regular process, a dynamic process in which people come together to prioritize resources. And resources can be money, can be people, can be anything. They prioritize resources to get to certain goals. And it is uh, absolutely normal, <laughs> usual, that portfolio management has to make hard choices and take decisions. People in that process do that on behalf of the shareholders in the end. Because the resources they are paid and funded by the shareholders. So that the shareholders and the board on behalf of the shareholders, they will not, let's say, 
give everybody in the company the right to take any decision. So there will be rules for that. And one example, for instance, is if you talk about prioritization of investments, if you talk about prioritization of investments of, let's say, 20 million compared to prioritization of investments of $20,000 or so. Yeah, yeah. There will be different people and different signatures required to take those decisions. And the governance around portfolio management, I don't think it's not complex, but in many companies that I know, it's not explicit enough. And because it is not explicit enough, they end up in a long debates and chaos and argumentation and all that. Because, you know, if you have the, the governance clear, you don't, you know, who can do what and who is mandated to do what and so on. So the governance is a, a way for the shareholders and the board to organize the decision making that portfolio management is about. If you don't have that a governance system in place, you have chaos and you can say, okay, we, we need to have something bottom up or it is not democratic or it is autocratic or whatever management system that you want. But I don't know any company where there is a hundred percent freedom at the bottom to take decisions about the money of the shareholders. I, I don't know one. So there is always governance, but very often it is uh, in terms for portfolio management a little bit, let's say, unclear. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and, and if you have complex products with uh, complex organizations around it and you are a big, big company, if you want to do portfolio management, if you want to professionalize portfolio management, you really need to have in place what I call a rules of governance charter. So it's a document, it is, it is we're in, the regulations are clear, like in a soccer game, the regulations are clear, uh, they are signed and updated every year because it can change if the yeah. company changes. The rules of governance charter is is what what we put in place if we try to professionalize portfolio management. That's a great statement, Hoop, definition of it, the charter. Uh, I think a lot of people understand what a charter is. What I liked what you said is you create it, but you, you don't, you have to look at it, review it, change it, update it if it needs updating on a regular basis, you suggested an annual basis, which feels feels good to me. Is, are we talking a page, 20 pages? When you say a document, and for my mind, I'm trying to think of how complex such a, to be, to be useful in your experience as you've, you've implemented this at different companies, how heavy is that need to be? The document is perhaps around 12 pages and it has some annexes, it has some tables connected to it. For example, a table that indicates who is mandated to take a decision related to amount of money. So okay. if you, what I said earlier, so till 50,000, that role can take the decision. If it is above 30,000, that role. If you, for instance, take a company like Siemens, Siemens, they publish about it. They have the so-called 4I principle. And in the 4I principle, nobody can sign on his own. You always have a contra signature. You need one. And if you go in portfolio management, in the end, you know, it is not logical to have um, the four eyes because the four eyes is a little bit, uh, uh, let's say, a political thing. 
because you are afraid that people are, right. have malicious uh, intentions. But I give you one example from the, the last time we spoke about category leaders in companies. So come, they are responsible for a product line and a product line can have a revenue target of 1 billion, something like that, or 500 million. And the category leader is the one then who has to work with other people, who is, who is the one who sits, as I always say, he sits on the, on the flames, he sits on the fire. He is the only one who sits on the fire. And the board will take him accountable to make sure that his portfolio will be so successful that it updates the sales catalog in the right way so that we later on sell based on the investments that we did. So if the category leader sits on the flames in the rules of governance, the category leader will have the mandate from the seed level, from the board level, to be responsible for those decisions. So if we prioritize this investment above another investment, and it's a category because the category is held accountable later on by the CEO and his uh, bonus depends on it, for instance. So you have a bonus malice regulations in many companies. So it cannot be that an R&D leader takes that decision, is mandated to take that decision, while the category leader will be punished if it's the wrong decision. So the, the guy on the, I call it, I was on the fire, who sits on, this, on the share that is hot, yeah. He is a guy who should be mandated to take the decisions and not somebody else. What you also have in the governance is nobody takes a decision completely on his own. You that you say, okay, you have to have the written or whatever advice from other people. It could be supply, could be IP, can be R and D, it could be industrial design, could be marketing and so on, so that you you don't take those decisions in the blind. But people who sit on a flame have the final authority and responsibility and accountability, and they will be punished if it's a wrong decision. So in the rules of governance, what you do is you describe those mandates. You describe also accountabilities. Yeah. And accountabilities goes for, for instance, who is accountable for the quality of the data that is used to... To make decisions. To, to make decisions. Yeah. So the quality of the data, and in, I can give you one example of, of that. If the data in portfolio management is coming from projects and the projects are stage-gated, the rules of governance that I implement say the project leader of such a project is accountable to deliver the data to the best of his knowledge and keep them up to date and all that, but the gatekeeper is accountable for them. Right. Correct. So if the gatekeeper is accountable for them, so if the gatekeeper says to a project, okay, you can move on and does that based on, while the data are not available, then you have a political decision or something else, but you don't have the data. And so the first point of a gate meeting in the governance in Jata should be, I accept the data, the data are okay, because those are the data that are used in portfolio management at a different level for heavy decision-making. So the accountabilities and the mandates, those two things you have in the rules of governance. And so if you look at that and you, you can see that you have easily a couple of pages, you need pages to, to describe that. So you have um, in the governance also, you have 
the agenda, like a structured agenda, how, how should a portfolio management meeting be prepared and how should it be done and how should it be recorded and how should it be published? Who can see some which data of that portfolio to all that, you know, is also arranged within uh, the rules of governance or the visibility of the data, the security of the data, not the technical security, but I mean, uh, the, who, who can see what that is also in the governance available. So what, what you also have in the governance, and I stop about it, is the type of decisions that can be taken and the type of decisions that cannot be taken by a portfolio management meeting. So some of the decisions have an impact on the entire company. So if you have, give you an example, if you have shortages of certain resources and you have two product lines and they are fighting for the same resources, which is possible in many companies, then you have escalation. So the rules of escalations are also part of the charter gave you some examples yeah. of, uh, of, yeah. of what it is. So it's, it's really a guidebook, a playbook, I've heard people call it, right? It's, it's how you operate. Yeah, you have the, the regulations here. You have the, who is the referee and who is this and that. And so, yeah, exactly. So, And, and if, if, if you have a big company and companies are global. It's, it's important, scale, yeah. And yeah. you don't have the, those rules in place. You will have uh, what, what we would call in Europe the Wild West. Yeah, it's <laughs> yeah. something you can lean back on when you when you need to stop and say what are we doing here you can you can refer back to that you can lean back on it you can hold each other accountable to it so because that's the agreement yeah so so when you and when you have the charter the charter will be published and implemented and there are some presentations around it yeah and sometimes what mostly we do we have to complete document and there is articles it's like a law right so it's a regulation <laughs> it's a chapter one and articles in it but what you mostly do is you make an executive summary of it. Yeah. And, and you make presentations around it. Right. That's how you internalize it. Yeah. And you, you make an interview with the CEO and you publish that, all that, you know. So you need to, because it's also a cultural and organizational yeah. thing. I don't think that you can underestimate the importance of it. But it does, as you said, drive the culture as well. I think culture is a very strong aspect. We've had people, you know, Chris Beswick was on the podcast talking about the culture of innovation, just how important it is. And that can come, that's right there in that governance. Yeah, if the governance uh, cannot be, say, against the culture, but it might be that, you know, there is, I think, a, an evolution in, in the world around that. So where, let's say, 40 years ago, 30 years ago, R&D decided what the sales catalog should be. It was technology-driven. The world changed a little bit, that it was more market-driven. And R&D is an internal supplier. And so R&D has not the final saying over what should be in the sales catalog first. It's not their job to do not that. Not that so way anymore, yeah. That is not in that way anymore. So the, in innovation management, the, the central, I would say, role in decision-making is more a collaboration between the sales side the commercial side of the business and product management. And product management is the internal customer, let's say of R&D and the other functions. Like they also are the customer of third party suppliers. And not every company in the world has already made that change. Some are still a little bit in the old fashioned way of thinking, the technology driven thinking, and some are already in the market driven thinking. 
and and governance is 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 that you know so if the r and d say hey we have a budget and we decide what we do with the budget whoever says what we have the mandate to take the decisions how we spend it that's not the same as that the money goes to product management where you have category leaders and people who are have business responsibility and they have the the mandate so the board sometimes tries to keep both satisfied both sides but when you do the rules of governance charter, you have to make a choice. You cannot make two people accountable and give the mandate to take the decision about the money. You cannot. There will be one person in the end. That is how culture plays a role, apart from cultures in America and Europe and China and all that. Thanks for listening to part one. I hope you enjoyed that. Join us next week where we continue our conversation and talk about the third pillar of portfolio management data. Until then, I wish you all a great week. Thanks for listening. Take care, everybody. Bye for now. Thanks for joining us this week for Innovation Talks with Paul Heller. If you enjoyed the show, please like and subscribe on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple, or wherever you listen to podcasts. For additional information on today's topic, check out sophion.com, S-O-P-H-E-O-N.com, where you will find plenty of innovation-centric content and corporate best practices. If you'd like to discuss anything with Paul or would like to get in touch with the show, email us at talks at